That's out. Oh, he's, he's got it. He's got it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball. And the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. I hate great cricket. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you call me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking all about Australia's massive, massive, enormous victory over Bangladesh by 48 runs there at Trent Bridge. Uh, my name's Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Sam Perry, who is in Melbourne. Pez, good morning to you. Um, well, that is the World Cup's done now, uh, and the whole tournament rests on three games, the two semis and a final. Good morning, Higgins. A less elaborate introduction um, and that's because we podcasted 24 hours ago and it is the only thing that's happened. Yes. Australia playing Bangladesh. That's the World Cup done for the round-robin matches. Yeah, that's right. I understand that there is a road for Bangladesh to the finals, but it involves beating England and India. So um, they've been valiant, Bangladesh, and they put up a pretty good fight here. But uh, And I know there's a lot of people listening to this show going, how are they going to spin Australia's performance to be shit here? Well, I've had to think about it. <laughs> Uh, and, well, you can't. Australia registered their highest ever ODI total, yep. 381 for five. I've said it that way around, mainly to annoy people. Sure. Uh, in Australia, that is. Uh, and, and, you know, Bangladesh didn't look like getting near it, nor would many, chasing 381 for five. The question remains, would that performance be good enough against the other two teams whose name we not mention? Hmm. Who knows? Who cares? Let's just enjoy it and get behind the boys. <laughs> well, let's get behind the boys. Mate, I, I, I've, I've been thinking um, about this tournament for a long time now, probably because I've been podcasting about it, so it helps to think about the thing that you're producing. But, it helps. But, um, you know, Australia now have beaten everyone that they should have beaten, really. I mean, they had a bit of a scare against the West Indies, obviously, when they were, they were four for 50 or something, um, and then they managed to get themselves to a score, then defend that score, despite the West Indies looking pretty comfortable in that chase. So they, 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 played, they played really well that game um, to dig themselves out of a hole. But, um, you know, they won the games that they should have done, um, and then they lost to India. So, like, I, I, I kind of made saying before that I think that if Australia make the semi – you know, that's just about where this team's at. And it looks like that's now an inevitability. They're, they're now, what are they, five points ahead of Bangladesh. He'll need to win their – Bangladesh need to win all three of their last um, their last games and Australia have to lose all three of theirs um, for, the, for, the, for, for Bangladesh to overtake Australia. So that's a, that's a done deal now, you'd think. Um, so, I mean, Australia have done okay. You know, they've, they've done it right. I mean, if, if Australia beats South Africa as well, I think they've had a, they've had a pretty decent tournament. I mean, it, it literally does now come down to one game in the semi-final, and, and you know, they'll play that you'd think England or India, depending on where the chips fall there. So, you know, can Australia put one performance together? I suppose it's just about the, these next three games are going to be, you know, about putting some performances together to make them in form for that semi-final. But I, I still think there's probably some holes in the in the lineup. I mean, the batting's been the batting's been really good this tournament. You have to say, I mean, including that West Indies game. Um, 
where they struggled early on. They managed, you know, Coulton Isle came in and, and defined himself as to what he is. Uh, but, the, you know, Finch and Warner at the top have, have been so good that I think they've actually created a bit of a problem down the order about, you know, how, how Smith and um, Kawaja come in because they're not, you know, fast-scoring hitters. But they've been given such a platform that it's like, oh, should we, should we put Maxwell in now? You know, what about Carey, bring him up, Stoinis, what's going on? You know, so... Australia's batted really well this tournament. Um, the bowling is a concern and what will ultimately, you know, cost us against England and India. But, um, yeah, no, good tournament. Good tournament for the boys. So mm. I say we retain the trophy and uh, let's go home. <laughs> yeah, I think it's – look, it's definitely worth pointing out that they're in a far more stable position than many people have given them credit for coming into the tournament. You know, Australia. Now that we've watched them in the tournament – the mm. idea that they make the semi is just a like it's just expected. Whereas yeah. going into the tournament, it wasn't as cut and dried as that. No. I know I've mentioned the the dusting at the hands of South Africa at the start of the summer, mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of ODI matches against India as well, where they looked sort of off the pace. So to get to a point now where the the problems are, oh well, when do we bring Maxwell in? Mm. Uh, from a batting point of view, is a really good thing. Mm. You know, ultimately, it's going to be a bit of a hindsight World Cup. We're not going to understand how Australia's been going until they play the the teams that we kind of measure ourselves against. Well, but uh, true, you have to say that uh, you have to say <laughs> that they've done everything that they can uh, until this point. And yeah. you know, for the rest of the time, and I know it's to the chagrin of many listeners, you know, we're left to kind of. And try and understand their performances against those two teams. You know, understand what they've put forward and thought, is that good enough? Mm. And I do think there are still questions there, but let's just enjoy that they've hit 381 for five. Um, here goes Warner, 167, 166, pardon me, off 147 rocks yes. in the grade cricket. Parlons. Yes. Um, you might have seen this. I, I, I put up on Twitter, um, I was, but not in a, like a baity way, but I put up on Twitter last night. A question about whether someone could maybe explain to me the tactical argument behind Warner batting as the anchor or just batting within himself to kick off. And uh, it, it wasn't meant to provoke people, though. You know, it is Twitter, so many people saw that as just a direct criticism of David Warner. Really, I, I genuinely was trying to understand, you know, what? why would you have him do that? Because clearly the brains trust and him feel like that's the best way for him to start. He ends with 166 of 147. I mean, kind of have too many complaints there. But I've got to say, you know, still adds, it still had some, you know, people texting me privately <laughs> during that whole um, innings, particularly the start, sort of, you know, wondering whether, you know, wondering whether, you know, he's still, I mean, someone's going to get those runs, right? <laughs> but was just wondering whether he still needed to go a little bit more quickly. Mm. Um, but you know, 166 can't argue with that, mate. I think it's uh, I think the Warner ones are really fascinating one because because people are saying like, oh, he's you know he's, he's a bit out of touch, and isn't it great that he can still you know put these runs on when he's not in his best form? The blokes hit two hundreds, like he's in good form. You can't say you can't watch the, you know his innings last night and think oh a bit scratchy. He, uh, he, his feet are moving fine. He's middling most balls. He's hitting round the wicket. He, he's in good form, he, and he's come off. He's come off um, the IPL where he was a leading run scorer. And by the way, in that in that IPL, he was hitting him at one hundred and forty three. So it, you know, it, per hundred balls, that was his strike rate one forty three. So it's clearly an instruction to to bat slowly. Now this is kind of goes to my point. I, th- I think like the 
almost the issue that Australia have got because Finch and Warner have started so well. I don't think at any point, apart from the West Indies game, they haven't got to 50. Um, they put another 100-run 100 sta- 100 stand on last night for the, for the new ball partnership. Um, Kawaja and Smith make sense at three and four if you're in a position where you're like you're two for 30, you're sort of one for 10, because then you get a second chance where Kawaja can build his innings again. Now, Kawaja batted exceptionally last night. Um, and he's got you know, 89 off about 70, 72 balls. So, so he's you know he's he's in the end bat really well. But like Warner is clearly being told to bat slowly, and I don't I don't understand why. When the only reason why you would have Kawaja and Smith down the order is back up for if you lose you know either Finch or Warner early to then bat 50 overs three innings. So I can't figure it out, but. The notion that Warner is out of touch, or I saw actually Bredig, Dan Bredig, friend of the show, posted um, a similar question last night, and um, his his uh, mentions were much less engaging, and they basically said, oh, well, Warner just wants to be the leading run scorer of the tournament. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. Why the fuck would you write that on the internet, you dopey fucking cunt? Oh. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, Warner's in good touch, and Australia's going to win the World Cup is what I'm saying. Yeah, it seems there's kind of – I sort of deduced two schools of thought with Warner. So there, are, there were people who were reasonably reputable who essentially had a spin on that um, argument that you've put away there, um, no holds barred, <laughs> that there is something about him trying to get <clears throat> time at the crease, perhaps being selfish, you know, perhaps building a narrative that he's the leading run scorer, even if it's at the uh, expense of – the pace at which the team can go. You know, some have said to me they just can't fathom the idea that Langer or Ponting would tell David Warner to bat slowly to kick off. Has someone, someone in Bredig's comments said, well, he's just getting ready for the Ashes. What? <laughs> he's in the World Cup. What are you talking about? Yeah. The other school of thought is, uh, and I heard this from someone, you know, who knows him as well, is that, it, like, he is, that he is technically struggling a little bit, but perhaps that struggle is you know, a result of being curtailed by his coaches as well. So it's a bit of a symbiotic thing. Uh, we're discussing the problems of David Warner after he hits 166. I just want to say Wait. one thing on that. Of course, 166 is good. It, it, of course, it's very good. Let me, can I underline that three times? It's good, mate. Like England, the, the England side, and I know people hate me talking about the England side, but they, they teach us that that there are 11 batsmen in a side, 11 batters in a side, and someone is going to score those runs. Of mm. 300 balls. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets out going for it for, you know, 10, 20. Someone else comes in and picks it up mm-hmm. and goes. So the individual milestone doesn't matter as much, you know. Completely agree, mate. Four guys hitting 60 or 40 balls rather than two guys hitting tons at a runner ball. Still feel like Australia is that latter thing. So, again, 166, very good. But just look at the, look at the number next to it, 147. They're just – that's how many runs can you get off that amount of balls mm. in an ODI. Now, again, it's great that he scores that many runs because when he scores that many runs, it allows Maxwell to come in and hit 32 off 10 mm. before being burnt by Usman Kawaja, who decided he wanted to run and then thought, no, I don't want to get out, so you can get out, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to score 100, and now I'm going to get out two balls later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's that's the conversation that's going on. It's like, how do you best manage those 300 balls with the power that you have? And it's... And the question is, why is David Warner playing a role that allow, makes him bat a little bit more circumspect at the start or a little bit more within himself? Which is a phrase that seemed to um, 
like that, that a lot of UK people seem to enjoy. Is that not something that people have heard of in the UK to bat within yourself? It seemed to be um, twisted into a masturbatory joke, which which I'm all for as well. Of course, yeah. Well, we did speak yesterday about Steve Smith having a bat in his room. Um, mm. Pez, I completely agree with that notion, and I was thinking about you know England's lineup uh, during during Dave Warner's blistering 166 from 147 rocks, and they have just like loaded up their team with like technically very good batsmen, but also just guys who can come in from ball one and just start whacking it. And like they, they figure if they get nine guys in their team who can do that, a couple of those guys per game are going to come off. Um, obviously, they've got a they've got Joe Root there who sort of anchors the innings. He's like the one anchor of the innings. But even Joe Root is the slowest. Uh, Pez, you, you said to me off air a while ago that like he's the slowest scoring batsman in their team, and he hits at about one hundred and two. Is that right? So, something like that. He was he was eighty. He was hitting at eighty eight coming into the tournament, and I thought it was just an interesting yeah. comparison with Darren Finch, who's the who's the blaster, the Aussie side who hits at eighty six. Right. Mm. So that's that's England's play. Now <laughs> it's going to be interesting because. Australia have every chance of beating England should they ever come up against each other in a you know in a knockout game. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we do play England on Tuesday, uh, which will be a blockbuster game, obviously for a number of reasons. But I mean, to, to, I keep going back to the overall point of the tournament. It doesn't really matter where England and Australia and India and New Zealand finish necessarily because you'd think Australia and New Zealand are going to have to play either England or India, and like I can't really. I, I, don't, I don't really have a choice. I don't really have a preference about who I'd want to play in, in the semifinal because they're both equally good. Um, so it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was trying to wonder whether there was an opportunity to play New Zealand in that semifinal, but I think they lose it. They've lost that now that they've lost to India. Right. India would have to lose a match now, but if you could somehow get New Zealand in that game with respect to New Zealand, even though I've clearly disrespected them there. You have. Yeah, that would be... That would be handy, but yeah, well, mate, it's uh, it's just interesting. Like uh, Australia, that match against England is on Tuesday. Hmm. Um, we've got a big cast coming up on Sunday. Actually, looking forward to telling you who our guest is for that. But uh, yeah, it's it, that should be a good game. And you know, yeah, we have our suspicions about Australia maybe playing a, for, a, a form of the game that's a little bit behind what the other guys are. But you know, they they have hit three hundred and eighty one for five. I, I should say, in the interest of argument for argument's sake as well, it was put to me that perhaps the idea, you know, firstly, England haven't always started really quickly in this tournament as well. Mm-hmm. Even Bairstow was sort of 90 off 99 mm. in his last match, uh, and he can go a little bit quicker than that as well. Uh, so there have been some circumspect starts as a little bit of a trend. Uh, so maybe Australia's following a trend. Someone put it to me, because I just asked for a tactical argument, didn't ask for the social stuff, mm. you know, and redemption stories or whatever, mm. just tactically, why might they be doing that? Someone said, well, Wickets can be a little bit tacky in England to kick off. That they might figure that small grounds means you need to load up, you know, for the end, uh, and um, preserve wickets in hand so you can then turn it into a T twenty or whatever. Um, and you know, that's maybe that's plausible as well. Someone else suggested maybe they're just protecting a weak middle order, the Australian side. Yeah, maybe. But I just would have thought that you know that middle order is really good at controlling things and you know going at a run a ball. So why start at that right? But. Um, it's worked for them so far, mate. Yeah, the, th- yeah, the final one is, um, just to lab this point, the final one, maybe they're just foxing. You know? <laughs> maybe Warner comes out and just goes at 200 in the well, semi and it's all just sort of, you know, 
Sun Tzu shit. Yeah, I mean, this is just you know, trying not to know your enemy. I, I think I think there is a, there is a thing of like the ten thirty starts that they're having. Like that, I think that, that probably is going to play a factor into how guys approach it. Um, especially yeah. if you lose a toss and you get sent in, bit of overcast conditions, ten thirty, especially in the northern cities of the UK. Anyway, um, Glenn Maxwell came in and just looked amid, just looked like he was getting the time that he needed at the crease for his nine balls before he was run out. And then, like, just... It was just good the, to see him get some time at the crease. Just, I, think he, I think he's faced less than 50 balls, yet he's batted in every game. Um, sure, he hasn't got to 50 yet, but, I mean, fuck, I love watching him bat. I mean, the talent oh. of this guy is, like... I don't know if you saw the free hit that he got. Uh, Kawaja was facing uh, the no ball was given, took the single, Maxwell on strike. I think he faced one ball. And he hits this, like, inside out over mid-off with like both yep. feet in the air it's that is yep. unbelievable skill and to middle that it's mm. it's crazy it's hitting length length ball slower balls like just middling them you know 75 80 meters into the stats i mean like what what a talent like australia have mm. um hasn't been able to show it just yet and it's a bit of a shame because like he looks in great form <laughs> um mm. as as good as you can be for nine balls disappointing I think like Australia were on track definitely to hit 400 there, um, which, you know, probably eradicates all arguments of, you know, is Warner batting too slowly? If he, if he ends up getting to 400, it's hard to it, – it is it is hard to make the point, although God help us, we've tried. But, <laughs> but I'd love to see Maxwell bat for like 15 overs, just get a chance to bat 15 overs. But maybe maybe he doesn't need to. Maybe he's the kind of guy who doesn't need that time in the middle and like you just you just load him up for one beginnings where he can score 100, you know, batting for 12 overs. I don't know. But, um, geez, Kawaja had a bad five minutes there, didn't he? <laughs> just just <laughs> absolutely burnt him. And then at that point you think, well, you're better off getting 100. And then he, he nicks a slower ball bouncer through to the keeper two balls later and then um, doesn't even get uh, – doesn't raise his bat. I mean, walking on the field despite batting absolutely magnificently I thought uh, so a couple of a couple of bad minutes there for Usman um, nothing else really happened uh, Steve Smith got one so we should speak about that he's out of form we I need to be worried about that um, yeah Mr. Mr. Effigy, it's effigy time it's effigy time I think Sam um, just on Maxwell there he goes okay. a, a friend of the show Jeff Lemon described that shot you were talking about as the off balance helicopter oh yeah uh, just it is. It's just something to behold. Is yeah. he's just so special. I was talking to a few coaches recently. Um, it wasn't that long ago that Langer's vision for Maxwell was to bat at number seven. Yeah, uh, and there was uproar around the country yeah. about that. But um, you know, I have to say, like around that position or coming in with sort of ten, with, with maybe thirty balls to play with, which is essentially ten overs to go. I mean, for me, that's that's the scenario where Maxwell is most likely to deliver for you. Uh, it, it stands to reason that if he's so good off those kind of 30 balls and can be so damaging, then why not give him more deliveries to face? Mm. Though through his career, and believe me, I've zero stats to back this up other than just what people have said to me. Nice. <laughs> but through his career, coming in earlier hasn't necessarily worked for him. He did have that opportunity against the mm. West Indies, it must be said. Mm. He was gone after two balls there, but so was everybody else. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like the Steve Smith thing and the Warner and the Finch thing. Like with Maxwell, you know, 32 off 10, great innings. Would have been, there were still 20 more balls to go in that innings when he was um, he was completely run out by Kawaja and the eyeballing that he gave <laughs> Kawaja is just beautiful. Yeah. I should actually get a screenshot of it. That should be the, the, the picture of the show. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, 
that part of Australia's batting, that's set. That's really good. You know, if you can get Maxwell into the last 10 overs to go, you can do some serious damage if you're batting first, of course. Mm. Um, you know, pieces pieces seem to be falling into place, but let's just see how they match up against England and India. England's the next game. It's going to be really interesting. Let's quickly talk about the bowling pairs. Yeah. Um, no wickets for Cummins, no wickets for Maxwell, but then the wickets were shared between Stark uh, Coulton Isle, Stoinis, and Zampa picked up one. So as Cummins well. dropped. So Cummins dropped. Major concerns there. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, I've been, I've been, a- I've been advocating heavily, as you know, Pez, mm-hmm. because I've been talking to you about it for Hazelwood to come in, and I think it needs to be for mm-hmm. Cummins, in mm-hmm. my view. Um, anyway, uh, so I mean, it's not really much to report. I mean, this this game was, even though uh, Bangladesh, I almost said Zimbabwe there for some reason, uh, 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 Bangladesh were travelling at about six and a half. Runs and over seven runs and over up until about the thirty fifth overish. Um, so they're sort of in the game in terms of run rate. I just got the feeling that they they're never really in it, you know. And it's like mm. there's been so many of these games where teams have teams chasing have fallen between <laughs> between you know forty and one hundred and fifty runs short. And you know, just to bring back to the overall point of this World Cup. There has been a, a real lack of close games. Now, New Zealand had a close game against South Africa um, two nights ago, where they won with three balls to spare. So that, that's that's a that, that's an exciting run chase, and a, a, in in a match that meant something as well, because at that time it took New Zealand back to the top of the table, basically securing their spot in the in the top four. But you know, there are a lot of games where. If you if you, yeah if you're putting 380 on the board, it's going to take a monumental effort, and you probably need a blistering start. I, I mean, you, you can't really be like two for 80 or 15 if you're chasing that. Not that not that Bangladesh were, but you see my point. Like Australia, Australia win, were winning that game from a long way out. Mm. Yeah, it's just the nature of the World Cup, I think, mate. Where like because it's inter- because it's international, and because teams are at varying points in their kind of Maturity as cricketing nations, uh, three eighty is going to be enough. It's not. It's not like what we've become accustomed to in short format cricket, especially T Twenties, where like no score is safe. Yeah, you know, with both sides that are normally equalised, you know, via systems. So it is easy to criticise in that sense, but it is kind of old school just to go. Well, we've parked three eighty mm. on the board. It's impregnable. You're going to have to be perfect and then some mm. uh, to beat us. So it's just. There's kind of two tiers of competition, it feels to me. Yes. You know, there's the top four, then the rest, and, and the top four games I think are going to be played on a different plane yeah. uh, to these ones. Mm. And they're about to come. I mean, look, there, there are some dead rubbers coming up in the World Cup. People are going to talk about it. Um, we are. I wonder yeah. whether the ICC have kind of arranged the tournament so that even if even though there are dead rubbers, most of the top four fixtures now occur. So the only one that's happened so far is Australia-India. Now everybody's got to play each other. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, all right, Pez, let's get um, let's get friend of the show, Adam Collins, on to talk about Australia's bowling innings specifically. Great friend of the show, Adam Collins on the line. If you don't know, he writes for everybody, commentates for everybody. His work is in high demand. He was at Trent Bridge overnight as Australia defeated Bangladesh. He's now currently in a Tesco's, I believe, um, getting a meal deal, a sandwich, some crisps, and a drink. Uh, Colo, welcome to the show. It's all true. I've got the chips component. I can't find a fucking vegetarian sandwich. I'm a virtue signalling wanker that doesn't eat meat. Um, so that's a great start. 
Um, yeah, so please continue. Yeah, we were no, at Trent no, Bridge and Australia did win. We're at Trent Bridge and Australia did win. There's not really much else to say apart from that. Mate, can you, um, and, and this is a credit to you, um, unlike... 99% of Australian cricket journalists and those who follow the game, you actually have an idea about the other side. Uh, what what did this let, – let's start with Bangladesh. I mean, what did this mean uh, for them? I know there's still yeah. a sliver of hope for them, but, uh, you know, give, give us the Bangladesh perspective. Well, that's their highest ever one-day international score, 333, beating the 330 they made against Africa a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean – they weren't ever going to win the game. I mean, they were, the scorecard's a bit a bit confusing. So they were probably close to the 48 runs. They were never going to chase down 381. But when Marmadula was squatting them everywhere in the final 10 overs and Ushik was making his way to 100, it just kind of felt like it was just special anyway. Um, the fans were incredible. It was 98% Bangladesh supporters in there today. I tell you what, Australian supporters at this World Cup have not been seen. They must be selling all of their tickets to fans from the South Asian teams. And fair enough, you know, if there's a buck to be made, um, so be it. But um, the, the, the pet tigers, that, well, not the pet tigers, the stuffed tigers that the Bangladesh fans bring into the ground and all the colour and movement, like, even though they weren't going to win, they were, they were barracking like they were just about to win the World Cup themselves. Because in a way, you could argue that this is Bangladesh's most important World Cup game ever. I mean, granted, they knocked England out of the group stage last year and, and yes, in 99 when they beat Pakistan, they got them test status, but if they beat Australia today, they've maybe not one foot in the semi-final, that's overstating it, but they've got a serious chance of making the semi for the first time. So I think that's why the support was so full on. Um, and I, I think there's another element to this. They're, they're too classy to say this, but privately, they fucking hate Cricket Australia um, due to the way they've been treated like shit forever. Um, since 2003, Pakistan, um, Pakistan Bangladesh... They've never been invited to play another test series in Oz, having had several in the FTP, only to be postponed and cancelled. Um, the one last year uh, where Australia said that they wouldn't host them on the basis that, according to reports from Crick Info, which were well-sourced, uh, that it wasn't commercially viable to play them because the television networks didn't want them to play them. I mean, you know, what, what is our sport if that's what it comes down to? And they've only played 19 one-day internationals across the... You know, I guess if you want to draw a line and say the 20 years since the 1999 World Cup, they haven't played a bilateral series against Australia in one-day cricket since 2011. They haven't been to Australia for a bilateral series for 11 years. Uh, there is so much disrespect shown by administrators towards Bangladesh. And again, they're too classy to say this publicly, but having had a little bit to do with them over the last couple of years, they, they view it that way. They view it as being thought of as the trash of the cricket world by Australian administrators and... I think today did mean an awful lot to them. So they didn't get over the line, but I think they were pretty keen to put in a sort of performance they could be proud of uh, and, and turn a few heads. And I think they did, certainly with the bat. Yeah, Colin, we've already spoken about Australia's batting. Let's let's talk about Bangladesh's batting and Australia's bowling. I mean, uh, eight wickets yeah. uh, on on a pretty flat Trent Bridge wicket. I mean, it's always, it's always a high scoring uh, affair there at Trent Bridge, famously. Yeah. Um, but have Australia bowled well there overnight, or is it uh, or Bangladesh's batting just too good? Oh, look, it was a bit of both. So uh, there was an early run-out, a brilliant run-out, actually, from Aaron Finch. He's so good in the field. He made ground and hit one stump that he was looking at to remove Sumi Osaka. And then that brought together the two most important Bangladesh players, really, in Tammy Iqbal and Shakib Al-Hassan. Um, they put on the better part of 100 before uh, before Shakib was done, done in by Stoinis' slow ball. So to break down the bowling, probably the most encouraging thing for Australia is, is that 
the supporting cast to Stark and Cummins. Certainly the, the third and fourth seamer, Coulson, Arlen, Stoinis were very good. So I don't think it was Cummins' best day of the World Cup. Probably wasn't Stark's either. In fact, it definitely wasn't Stark's best day of the World Cup. He took some taps towards the end, especially from Wushpika. Uh, but Coulson Isle back into the side ahead of Kane Richardson and ahead of Jason Berendorf. Uh, I think he sort of reminded people that he's pretty good at cricket. I think that some people might have, um, you know, got on the, Ber- on the Coulson Isle bandwagon off very rapidly a couple of weeks ago, but he was excellent, especially when it mattered up front. And, and Stoinis, just having the balanced attack, the fact that Stoinis was there meant they had greater flexibility uh, in their batting innings and they were able to get 10 overs out of him, a couple of important wickets, including Shakib. So, he, again, it was a reminder of why all-rounders are so crucial in the 50-over format of the game. It's certainly the salad 11 uh, with Kultanala back in it, Colo. I know you've got a great salad yourself. You consider Kultanala, Stoinis, Zampa, Cummins. There's some breeze blowing through those uh, follicles yeah. as they come into bowl. And just in terms of, yeah. but I mean, just, just completely pivot, no Australians in the crowd. I mean, is that because they're investing a lot of their money into sort of negative gearing, which will probably take a bit of a, um, <laughs> a bump with, with the recent um, election result? Yeah, I mean, I think the only people there today who weren't Bangladeshi supporters were these two posh wankers who ran across the ground in like a semi-streaker type job. Nice. So they were wearing collared, they were wearing, um, you know, the, the dinner jackets and, and you know, um, they, they were dressed up nicely, pretty much. They, went, they, were, they were in a corporate box probably. And, you know, probably eight bottles of wine in. They decided to run across from, I guess you'd say, deep extra cover to, um, to Cow Corner. And they, no one touched them. They just ran across in the middle of an over. And the stewards escorted them, pretty much, as they did it. They got to the other end, and then they presumably got arrested at the other side of the ground. But imagine that happened in Australia. Imagine two blokes jump on the field and decide to charge their hand, running across an international fixture at home. They'd, they, they, they'd, um, they'd be fucking pounded by the blokes in the bomber jackets. And fair enough, too. That's part of the deal, isn't it? If you want to run on the ground, you're going to pay 5000 bucks or a fine of that amount. It's going to be three times that much in Perth, thanks to the mining boom. And you know, four hours in the cells at the MCG, uh, and, and that's just your lot. Um, by the way, if you ever do run on the ground and get stung, get stung for that, evidently, if you go to court and plead guilty, you just get uh, it's like a couple hundred bucks. So if you ever run on the ground and make and, and do that, you don't get charged the full fare. I've got told that. It's only if you challenge it in court. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> good to know. Given, given, your, given, given your given your given your audience, people will definitely try that on next year. Mm, yeah. Uh, just quickly, Colin, as well. I mean, are, are you saying therefore that? Um, the UK cricket grounds could probably use some behavioural awareness officers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite quite possibly for these two blokes. Um, I ta- yeah, you're right about the salad eleven. I see Coulson Isle's got a moustache now, which is kind of cool. I don't mind that. Mm. Um, I-, I think I've got better hair than all of them. I still think my hair's the best in the M25, but I mean, <laughs> I'm, willing to, I'm willing to be challenged on it. <laughs> Right. I still think I can have it a line. Colo, if I've learned anything about these fans, you will be. You will be challenged on that. Uh, mate, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot of chat about, um, about you know, should the World Cup even be played in England because it rains there and no cricket game should ever be played where it rains anywhere. But I'm looking at, like, the, the crowds yeah. and it's just such a – I mean, the UK is such a great hub of – uh, different, you know, especially cricket um, communities, you know, uh, West Indies, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. I mean, you know, there's obviously a huge uh, Antipodean – audience over there as well I, I think it's just absolutely fantastic but I mean obviously it has rained a couple of times and therefore ruined the entire World Cup so I mean, what would you say to people who, who, who question uh, you know a, a World Cup event being held in the UK 
Yeah, I'll just remind people that reflexively say it rains in England, therefore don't hold the World Cup there. But on average, it rains more in Australia in March than it does in England in June. And when was the last World Cup held? In Australia in March. Like, this is just one of those things, right? Mm. So people that, you know, people that get fired up and want to sound off on Twitter about games being rained out, like, go for gold, whatever. But it doesn't matter because fundamentally the stats don't back it up. It's unfortunate. I wish it didn't happen. Mm. Um, last week was shit. Um, no one's going to say any other, anything other than that, but... Mm. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the bigger talking point isn't the weather. The bigger talking point is there's going to be 11 dead rubbers. Provided this World Cup goes on the trajectory that we think it will, and given that New Zealand won yesterday and Australia won today, it probably will end up that we have 11 dead rubbers. Uh, it was worked out a couple of days ago. That's the biggest scandal. But the format of the World Cup um, set up by Australia, India and England to ensure that it got reduced from 14 teams to 10 back in 2011 when they first tried this on and they eventually got there for this tournament. Uh, that's, that's the problem. That we're going to have so much uncompetitive cricket at the back end of the tournament. Uh, the schedule was botched. It should be two groups of seven, um, but it's one group of ten, which always runs the risk of there being a big gap between the, the top half and the bottom. And the way the draw's been done, it's means a lot of these blockbusters, quote-unquote, so Australia, England, Australia, New Zealand, uh, I think England, New Zealand, and India and England, those four games, which will probably be the four sides that make it through to the semis, they're all playing each other after all the sides are qualified already. Mm. So where's the incentive to, where's the incentive to, to bowl Mitch Stark uh, against England, for mm. example? I mean, there's the you know, psychological warfare nonsense, but in terms of the actual practical application of seeing Mitch Stark, who's injury-prone, playing an extra game against England, who he's going to want to have a degree of surprise, I suppose, against when he plays them in a game that means something. That's mm. what... That's where the integrity of this World Cup is, is rightly being scrutinised and will continue to be so. Uh, the re- as the, never forget, the reason why there's 10 teams in the World Cup and not 14 is because of a fuck-up in the draw in 2007, which meant that India got bundled out after three games. It's the only reason. The reason that Australia um, kowtowed to India, well, for the usual reasons, but the reason Australia backed it is that India wanted it this way. Uh, there's no excuse for it on cricketing terms. It's purely on, on the grounds of a mistake they made before the 07 World Cup, and we're paying the price for it 12 years later. Mm. But, but Colo, can I just follow up with that? I mean, don't you think you should just get behind the boys? (laughs) (laughs) Back out, boys. Turn the lads. You little fucking beauty. No, I said you're well today. No, good today. Uh, to be fair, like I think that they've exceeded expectations already in many respects. If we were having this conversation three months ago, we would have all said if they make the semi-finals, pretty good result, right? I mean, no rubbish in, in one-day cricket until they arrived in India and came back in that series, and then subsequently in the UAE. I reckon that if, if, uh, if, if, if now they've pretty much all but made the final four, that's that's where they would have hoped to have got to, but wouldn't have necessarily expected it. If they make a final, it's an outstanding result for Australian cricket. If they wouldn't have been well. I mean, talk about talk about timing your run perfectly, given the way that India and England have battered everyone over the last four years. So, fair play to them. I think they're coming together really well. Adam Collins, it's a pleasure, as always. Thank you for that combination of humour and, and genuine insight. We do appreciate it. Bye, boys. Look, to be honest, I don't try and take the piss too much, but the problem is you start to get a little bit bored. So, I sort of... I used to hate that. I sort of... Uh, I try and do the right thing by the competition, I must admit. That when I go there, I try and play conventionally, but realistically, I'm thinking from ball one, I just want to park this fucking thing into the car park. <laughs> but you don't want to come out of it and people say, look at that arsehole Hodgie, you know, so... 
Yeah, what a prick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good fun. I, uh... Hashtag Ask TGC. Pezza. Uh, so yesterday we put out the call uh, on the podcast for anyone who might have any information about the big question out there, which is on everyone's lips, i.e. just mine, is Johnny Bairstow weird? And if so, how weird? Um, so people have written in uh, with a couple of stories. Oh, actually, a lot of people wrote in, but um, I'm only going to read a couple. Jack Moorcroft writes in, says, read Johnny Bairstow. I have it on good authority that in his uni days, he was guilty of cutting off the music at pre-drinks, a prerequisite to preventing crippling social anxiety from taking over the room, and replacing said music with YouTube videos of his cricketing highlights. Went down terribly, rare unit. I hasten to add that uni days refers to a period of time whereby, despite not attending Leeds University, Johnny was regularly in attendance at, at its parties. So, I mean, that's fucking... Is that, it's kind of alpha, like turning off music at a party and putting on his own highlights. Mm. I mean, so long as he is playing international cricket at this point, which I assume, I assume he was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's obviously absolutely nothing to back this up that this is true, or any of these stories are true. I was just going to say, can I just put a disclaimer out there? Uh, in the interests of maybe the law, that um, <laughs> we are publishing these claims unverified. They're not verified. They may not be true. Yes. Um, They're almost definitely not true, Pez, but people have written yeah, in, I so, mean, you know. Again, Jack Moorcroft, very sort of made-up name. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of made-up like real name. names. But if, in, if indeed it's true that Johnny Bairstow would stop music at pre-drinks at uni parties mm. to play his own YouTube cricketing highlights, mind you, these people would know that they're going to go and play for England. Yeah. Well, that's pretty... It's pretty cricket alpha in in the wider society. That's uh, it's rare, yeah. Because people don't cricket's a special interest sport. Yes, but otherwise, uh, yeah, pretty alpha. Oh, I got. I just want to just personally also disclaim that um, just a summit on Johnny Bairstow being weird or not mm. is makes me uncomfortable. But right. it's one that I'll go through anyway for performance art purposes. <laughs> I just think, I mean, I, I have, I've bullied you into this, um, you know, silently. I'm not being bullied. But, it's, but it's, you're fucking being bullied, mate. So it's just, it, I, it, there's just something I just can't figure him out. I want I want the fans out there to, to help me figure him out just for my mm. own, you know, I'm using this as just my thing. I mean, this, this is just, you know, hiding my own insecurities, basically. Uh, Nick Scott writes in says, Dear TGC, on the, on the theme of Bearso possibly being weird, at 10am on day two of the 2017 Tested Old Trafford versus South Africa, myself and my brother had lined up four pints each, a saving of 16p or 15p a pint. We were sat a few rows back from the boundary and on the route from the nets to the dressing rooms and sighted Johnny Bairstow walking past. A few fans sat in front of us, uh, called out to him for a selfie. He looked up and right past them to myself and my brother and shouted, strong start on the beers, lads, but we'll see how you're doing at tea time. By the tea break, we had several more beers and I'm led to believe South Africa were now in bat. <laughs> now my question to you is this. Is it, more, uh, is it more embarrassing that after attempting to alpha me and my brother, that Bersta was out last week at for 99, leaving Jimmy Anderson not out on four? Or is it worse that by the end of the day, I had no idea that we had taken nine wickets or indeed that there had been a tea break? <laughs> well, this, is, this isn't about Johnny Berso at all, is it? Is it more embarrassing? <clears throat> is it more embarrassing that he got out for 99 in a test match or oh, that he and his brothers got so drunk that they didn't know South Africa had taken nine <laughs> wickets or that England had taken nine wickets? 
<laughs> it was yeah, more embarrassing. Yeah. It's Johnny Bairstow's 99, isn't it? No, Johnny Bairstow's 99, without doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And leaving Jimmy Anderson on, not out on four. Mm. Um, I appreciate your question, Nick. Uh, that, 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 but that wasn't at all about Johnny Bairstow being weird in any way. Uh, well, it kind of is. I mean, it's, it, like it's just his anecdote about people asking Bairstow for a selfie and Bairstow just looking past them and looking at four guys <laughs> apropos of nothing guess. and going, strong start on the beers, lads. Let's see how you're doing by tea time. I just wonder if he did indeed check on them at tea time. Anyway. Yeah. Well, if he's caring, he would he would check in on them, hydrate them, get them some electrolytes. Uh, yeah, I don't know, mate. There were some other stories in there, basically, you know. No, no. Oh, yeah. Can I read this? Oh, well, this isn't a best though one next. Sorry. Yeah, there was a lot of other stories that came in. He goes, <laughs> some of them were concerning, but I guess that's what happens on the internet if you put a call out, as I did yesterday, for Bairstow stories. What are you going to expect? Yeah. You know, Nobel Prize winning journalism? No. Yeah. You're going to get trash. And there was some trash. Yeah. Anyway, any more stories, send them in. Um, I, I, my, my favorite my favorite Steve War stories. <laughs> you talk, <laughs> talk about stories that go against the myth. <laughs> And the narrative, yeah, yeah. Steve Wars. It's hard to beat Steve Wars stories. I don't mean that from a malicious sense. I just mean, yeah, you know. Well, there was some yeah. when, when we when we did put out the call. Well, we actually didn't put out any call, but just like when we opened that up, there were just all of a sudden a plethora of you know EM, uh, EM, emails, inboxes, DMs that were yeah. just like oh, I've got my own Steve War experience that didn't, it went a little bit against the grain to what the public yeah. image is. Yeah, uh, that's right. And they are funny. Just because also he's so dry. I like, I like how Johnny Bairstow's mm-hmm. weirdness has come into Steve War stories mm-hmm. now. But like cool. he's just Weird so word. he's just so dry. And like <laughs> and like that's why it's so funny. Um but let's move on, Pez. You want to read the next okay. one? Okay. Uh yeah, Ben Blyton asked CGC, hey fellas. During a recent night out in Brisbane, I was walking through a bar and spotted someone sitting at a table that I was certain was famous. After going to the smokers area and Googling Sydney Thunder Spinner. I quickly realised it was Chris Green. I went over and got a picture and had a good hour-long chat with him about all sorts of things, mostly his salad and legal bowling action. We became so friendly that I was even able to throw some jabs at him about his inability to spin the ball large distances. He had to go, and we shook hands and said goodbye. (laughs) Does this sort of banter with a pro mean that I am able to DM him and hang out, or does it mean I was just another dribbler and he was being a nice guy? Cheers, Ben. Pretty simple answer to this, I'd say. Here goes, after you. Oh yeah, definitely DM him. Yeah, get him on all mm. social medias if you can. Try and try and get his phone number. Speak to his agent. Um, yeah, you should definitely hang out. If you want to hang out with a professional, definitely go through their agent. Uh, mm. That's 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 the way to do it. Uh, ben knows the answer to this question. Anyone um, listening to this knows the answer to the question um, because there's just a lot going on. First of all, he wants to be best mates with a guy who he had to Google. Uh, in the mm. smoker section. Uh, How Sydney. did he know to Google Sydney Thunder Spinner? Well, I think he just recognised Chris Grain, who is, in my opinion, the best-looking cricketer that has ever existed. He's better than he's better looking than Brendan Julian, yeah. um, just without the baggy green cap. He's smoldless. So I think uh, what, what would have happened is he would have seen Chris Grain's face and like he, he was, I, I recognise that in a green shirt and there's only one green domestic T20 franchise and that is... Um, Obviously, the um, Melbourne Stars, um, Sydney Thunder. So um, that's why he's done that, I think. And then he's, you know, then he's sledging him about not being able to spin it. And then the next sentence is, he had to go and <laughs> say goodbye. Yeah, yeah shocking that, that, that those things coincided. That uh, he just met a bloke in a pub who wanted to talk to him about cricket, then sledging him about not being able to spin it, which is yeah, great chat. He goes, 
<laughs> we just hear this, like we experience this phenomenon quite a bit now. This, like, this phenomenon of people being friends with you or being friendly, inverted commas. But when you actually look at the content of what they've said to you, it's usually quite aggressive or critical. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. Ben has had three items of content with Chris mm-hmm. Green, his new best mate. One, <laughs> his salad. Admittedly, it's a great salad, and that would have just been a nice compliment. Two, his legal bowling action. Mm. And three, his inability to spin the ball large distances. So basically, he's gone up to him, and over the course of an hour, a good mm. hour-long chat with him, he talked about all sorts of things. One good thing, and two things that speak to his professional life. His legal bowling action was obviously a sarcastic comment on the way he bowls mm. and the fact that he can't spin the ball. Like the two things he actually does. Oh, yeah, I love talking to him about chucking it and how he can't spin it. I mean, I'm sure he loved that. It's funny that the, literally as soon as you put the full stop there, Ben, the next line is he had to go. <laughs> but isn't this every interaction? I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're starting to experience this, you know, with the good people who you know, buy VIP tickets to our shows. No, they're good people. They, they, they're yeah. good people. And keep buying. Greatcricket.club for all your world tour live show tickets. Uh, I've done it again. Done it again. Slipped it in there. Um, yeah, uh, Ben, I have it on authority. I've, I've, uh, a close friend of mine is, is good friends with the Green family and, uh, I have it on authority there that Chris Green is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So Chris was, um, following that up. Uh, it's another story of Chris Green being a nice guy. I'm not sure what he was doing in Brisbane, probably mm. trying to figure out his legal bowling action. Um, maybe it's where he's frosted tips. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Ben, I would not DM him. I think you yeah. should take away that experience. Stickly. You've now written about it you know, to, to two guys on a podcast and we've spoken about it for 10 minutes. So I'll tell you what, we're looking we'll, – we'll get him on the show at some point in the next little while as well. So we can ask ben. him about you, Ben, and, and oh, your you get, fledgling okay, I friendship. Might, I thought you might want to get Ben on the show. Um, it would be funny. Do right, you remember Pez? him? I mean, that would be a really funny segment. <laughs> Do you remember him? Do you remember me? And we'll get people on, and you can like somehow we'll get a radio show or something. I mean, that's just so flippantly. Isn't that isn't that our segment? Do you remember me? That's basically what all of our questions are to former players. Anyway, anyway uh, let's talk about this. Anonymous. Yeah, stop having business meetings on the podcast. Anonymous writes in. He says, "Hello, gentlemen. I wish to remain anonymous. I have less of a grade problem, but more of an alpha problem that I'm sure you'll be able to help with. One of my best mates was known." Uh, has known this girl since he was a toddler and allegedly fancies her. Allegedly, because he refuses to confirm. She recently broke up with her boyfriend, which gave me heavily beta best friend a chance at the prize. Yet only a few days after the breakup, one of my other mates ended up engaging in an activity with her at a party that involved his fingers and lasted oh, approximately 20 minutes. That's gross, man. My question really is, what does my friend do and how do I help him during this time? By the way, he's ginger with no pipes, chest or salad, and is a sketchy medium pace tailender, so he's not exactly been blessed. So this guy allegedly fancies a girl and has done for a while. His friend has hooked up with her at a party. And so what does he do? I don't know. I I just, my head went into fuzz when he started to describe what actually happened. Mm. Uh, What does he do? I don't know, mate. If you're going to burn your friends or anything like that for, Mm. for a girl, you know, like you, you, you're not in. Yeah, you're not a friend of mine. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, I think that's right, mate. I mean, he signs off with, by the way, he's ginger with no pipes, chest or salad. I mean, oh, I was thinking it could have been Bairstow writing in here. Um, <laughs> but he's got he's got decent salad, to be fair. Um, oh, Johnny, so. You don't rate his pipes or chest? They're okay. They're okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, Bairstow's all right. Bairstow's all right in that sense. Um, I don't know what you do here. I mean, the obvious answer is to quit cricket and get massive. Um, mm-hmm. That is, that is, you know, I mean, bodybuilders uh, have been created by many times by you know relationships breaking down. Um, you know, heartbreak does does form bodybuilders. It's a it's a famous cliche that happens. So, um, look forward to your friends just getting getting to the gym, quitting cricket, never seeing him again because uh, he'll be uh, taking small bits of Tupperware to to house parties uh, as he's counting his macros. Uh, talking about chest and back routines. <clears throat> That's what I do anyway. And look oh, how happy I am. It just sounded super familiar. That's like, <laughs> you just, you know, it's just like what you said yesterday about, oh, we should do a faf C routine with a towel. That's what we're offered to go to a hen's party. Just, just said it with... With uh, just some real expertise there, just suggested maybe that's happened before. He goes, "Have you ever taken Tupperware with uh, with your protein and, and macros or whatever the fuck you call it to parties before? Have you done that?" No, I've never, I've never done that. I've never done that. Um, okay. I wish I, had, I wish I had a story there to follow it up, but I don't. No, I've, I've never, I've never um, done it to that extreme. I don't know what anonymous does. Um, you know, look, it's a, it's a tricky situation, but I mean, the only answer is to to just get absolutely ripped because um, that's you know, revenge is the best form, uh, you know, uh, of, of acceptance here. So, uh, revenge is the best form of acceptance. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I'm really enjoying you mumbling about weightlifting of bodybuilding this last few minutes. Yeah, your mind's drifted off somewhere else to some kind of scorn that you've received from from a woman, and that's obviously prompted you to get massive yourself because you keep talking about it. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot we were doing the podcast for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was just two blokes just having a chat over the internet. Mm. Um, all right, well, thanks so much for that question, Anonymous, um, that I definitely wrote in myself. Um Pez, uh, England and Australia go head to head on Tuesday, yeah. um, but the, our next podcast will come out on Monday Australian time. Uh, before that, so um, huge, huge game next up, and then the winner basically takes all. So see you then. <laughs>